Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with you. And I want to remind you, as always, that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. This does not constitute working with a licensed mental health professional, let alone the subjects that we talk to talk about here. But let them be helpful guides for your experience in finding a therapist or mental health professional in your area. So today's podcast, hmm, so it this is another uh, individual that I've come to uh, know and through certain sort of social circles, which we'll talk about later on. Um, but I thought their work is something that it would be good for everyone to hear. And also their work, especially working with an organization that I have uh, preferably known as Black Brothers Esteem in San Francisco is a very prime one uh, talking about LGBT mental health, especially for Black men. So today's podcast guest is Brian Regas, who is an accomplished administrator with 10 years of experience or experience raising awareness and engagement of health and human rights issues with community-based organizations. Based in San Francisco Bay Area, he brings strong management and leadership skills with an exciting track record of improving organizational efficiency through strategic engagement and community partnerships. And I know that sounds like a job ad there, but uh, (laughs) I'm sure there's more than we can add to that. If he's looking for more work, consider this the uh, sure, why not? The lookout for that, and welcome to Untying Knots, Brian. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for having me here. I'm very excited. Not a, not a problem. So, uh, how did you get here? Sure. So, I am a local Bay Area native. Mm-hmm. I have uh, my educational background is actually in um, comparative ethnic studies. Uh, Mm -hmm. that I went to at San Francisco State. Um, But from there, I actually found myself really directly getting into community-based health. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's because they're so synergistic, right, with working with concepts of, you know, community building within uh, communities of color. Um, Mm -hmm. And then really trying to address really pertinent health needs um, that, you know, that affects our communities, right? so I actually started off working with an organization called, at the time, API Wellness Center, mm-hmm. um, just volunteering um, and, uh, you know, just wanting to get involved, trying to find my sense of community, you know, mm-hmm. uh, disclosure, I'm half Filipino and, and, and Black, so that's why I think I, I'm growing up in San Francisco, right? It's about 40% API. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I was trying to find, you know, my sense of community there. Um, and so I just started volunteering getting involved in community work. And, you know, it led me to actually starting to get work through through that experience, right? Um, and so I started to do more work. And actually, after this, subsequently after that, I started doing more work in the East Bay, um, mm-hmm. doing like HIV testing, capacity building, um, and even uh, research uh, with um, folks affected by HIV. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the slew of those of health determinants that come along with working with our, you know, low income BIPOC communities uh, here. Mm -hmm. And so um, that kind of led me to where I am today. 
And, you know, I'm still expanding and learning uh, to where that may take me in the future, you know. Um, I'm studying in, um, I studied in South Africa a few years ago, mm -hmm. and now I'm at the University of London. So I've actually wanted more branch into global health in, into the future as well. So, Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And I think you definitely can spend some time uh, talking with our brother Johnny, or well, I should say, but you're soon to be brother, but Johnny, yeah, because uh, a uh, part of how we know each other is through Onyx itself. Yes, yes, you're yes, currently yes. one of our pledges. Although yes. by the time this airs, you probably will have finished our pledge process. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but to that extent, your work in these programs can you give us a bit more about what the most what the program you're presently working with does, and how can also is it something that the impact and support that it generates for the community. Definitely. So I'm currently the director of Black Health at San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Uh, and actually has a portfolio of programs uh, dedicated to serving uh, Black queer communities here in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, one of them is also called Trans Life, uh, which mm -hmm. sees trans and gender nonconforming folks um, all along the spectrum, uh, supporting through social support groups, uh, case management, um, and, um, you know, events and activities uh, that we do throughout the city. Um, mm. And then we also have a capacity building program uh, that is a uh, employment kind of like pipeline uh, into mm -hmm. public health. And so we're starting uh, uh, building and training young folks, young Black queer folks in service navigation, mm -hmm. uh, phlebotomy, um, uh, and case management, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. to get into the workforce over here. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Black Brothers Esteem, which is our legacy program uh, here at the agency. And so we're celebrating our 27th year uh, here, uh, and it's dedicated to uh, Black queer men uh, in the city and in the Bay Area. Um, and then, again, it's just a safe space where, we again, we provide uh, social support space. Uh, we do events and activities. We do some case management uh, and referrals out to, you know, whatever direct services, whatever health services that they may need. Yeah. Very nice. I guess one of those questions that sort of comes up, one might ask is, given the elements of uh, queer support and so forth that exist, why is there a need for a program that is specifically focused more towards Black men? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's an interesting question. I think particularly to ask in, you know, today's day and age, particularly in a city like San Francisco, right? Mm. And if we look at San Francisco's numbers, right, San Francisco is like currently less than 10% Black or African American. Mm -hmm. um, and it's slowly diminishing, right? Um, however, if you, take, if you take a look at the steps of our homeless population and who our homeless populations are, you'll see are the highest percentage of folks are Black African American. So if you're looking at that context, you know, seeing who's actually here, what types of Black folks are, they're mostly for obviously low income, um, homeless, marginally housed uh, here, you know, in, the, in, in San Francisco. Um, and then, of course, a good number of them are also queer and trans as well. Mm -hmm. And so we provide health services. Um, we are the safety net of the safety net in some ways to where, you know, folks can get basic needs like housing, um, uh, uh, health care, uh, food. And I think just a, a more important and importantly, just a social space too, where folks can just hang out uh, and get to know each other and really build community, you know. And so, you know, that's that's part of how uh, our um, program is 
still existence today. And and I think what's uh, what's uh, uh, what's uh, most important uh, to what we're trying to really address uh, is is the needs of our community. And what are some of the other needs that you're finding in the community needing to be reached that we can look forward to trying in the future? Yeah, no, I think I think we're. I mean, you know, we primarily do our work through uh, support groups and social spaces. So mm-hmm. I think there's a very clear need. Um, I think you know for social support and and space. You know, um, I think it's you know one. It's a, it's a bit hard. You know, being black and queer in San Francisco in the Bay Area, right? You know, um, like I said, with with the numbers that I just said earlier, you know, it's it's hard to find space. It's hard to find uh, affirming space uh, where mm-hmm. folks can really build community. Um, and see themselves reflected and talk about the issues. I think that's really pertinent, you know, to uh, to uh, well us as you know Black queer men, right? And so we provide we we provide that space. We we give topics, discussion. We do discussion groups. You know, we do um, and how we do that through um, uh, a book reading group that we have, which is amazing. It's called um, Brothers Who Read, uh, mm-hmm. and we we read you know you know Black queer literature. Uh, and you know, discuss you know the major themes out of that. Um, and, and interesting, also invite the authors to come and speak with us as well too, which is really fun and amazing. I love when we get that level of participation. Uh, if you remember and, correctly, uh, you had that you had that a uh, couple of I think it was last month that you yeah. had. Uh, I remember you seeing the thing the post on it. My schedule just living in the South Bay versus going to San Francisco, <laughs> despite what it looks like on, a, uh, on the calendar, it's at least an hour's drive. Yes, 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 yes. No, no worries. Um, but um, no, I think, I think, I think what's important uh, with that, you know, is we also bring our work out into the larger community as well too. So, you know, we, we have a good cohort of, of folks of regular participants within the space, um, mm-hmm. but we're always constantly trying to get, in, engage know the larger community with the work that we do and the services that we provide you know and a lot of that is through you know event-based um mm-hmm. things right so like we, we had a book launch the other day with um one of the authors that we were working with with others who read you know mm-hmm. we do you know a regular uh, holiday stuff uh like kwanzaa is huge uh over here with us so um and of course like black history month you do a big um uh a community event called generations uh, which is a celebration of Black, uh, queer, LGBTIQQ history with performances and um, big events, things like that. So we're 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 very big on um, having fun. You know, <laughs> I'll say that. You know, it's it's it, it's a fun it, it's a fun process. You know, we 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 do a lot of uh, amazing and fun stuff here. Very nice. So I'll let you get a drink in there. <laughs> Before I hit you with one of those questions that's not on our original discussion list, which one of those aspects being the material you talked about being providing with the sense of community, I'm curious, what if you, and even with the standpoint of uh, the population base, I'm kind of wondering, what have you found about our wealth and generational gaps? Yeah, no, that's... In- that, wow, that's an amazing cold. question. That's an amazing question. No, I love it. You know, I think also particularly I should mention because our our organization, our group, um, started um, again like twenty seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of been the same folks too. So if we have a generational like component to us. And so most of our uh, participants are probably about forty to forty five and up. Uh, I'll say mm-hmm. that. And so um, 
and a lot of folks have mixed status, right? So some are mm -hmm. HIV positive, some are, some are not. And so some are, you know, living with, you know, HIV, you know, for a long time. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we're trying to partly address some of the generational needs of, you know, Black queer seniors uh, in, mm -hmm. in some ways, right? Which, which is fascinating. And I didn't feel like I'd ever find myself doing that kind of work, but I am. And it's interesting. It's really interesting to see the needs of what, of what it looks like to be, black queer and aging right because you know someday i'll be there too you know well, yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> be there. well i'll be there right yeah. i'll be there so we're, 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 i'm getting that look uh, on what it needs and and surprisingly it's not as different as as working with younger folks you know older folks you know too they require socializing they require space they require you know um a lot of the same things i think younger folks need which is you know the, that peer space support that peer based look at like you know, what does it mean to be, you know, finding that sense of community, again, along the age lines as well, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, we have folks who come, I mean, part of our service delivery um, is, you know, you know, teaming up with, you know, like ALRP and like, you know, uh, uh, how to, uh, you know, build out your end of life uh, work and contract, you know, end of life mm -hmm. work, right? You're making sure your, your things are settled. Like we're doing a lot of those kinds of sets of workshops for folks. And, you know, and how to have that conversation, you know, with with, with each other, right? So that mm -hmm. folks are, you know, financially or life set, you know, towards towards the end of towards the end of their life, right? Very um, nice. Very but nice. at the same time, they're also really just fun and catty, like like young folks too. They 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 talk they talk up a storm, right? There mm -hmm. are they do, which is I think really fun to see, right? Um, and there's so much like uh, history. I think within this space as well too, that I think that maybe uh, a lot of a lot of younger folks, you know, like myself, also mm -hmm. just really take um, uh, to take to heart. You know, uh, like one of our clients, he he like knew like Essex Hemphill, right? And he was like having lunch with him, and like he said he hit on him once, and I was like, what? <laughs> He's like one of the one of the poets, and you know, black queer, um, you know, no big figureheads that I've only read in books, but you've had like this mm. lived experience like with this person, uh, which I, it's just is fascinating and amazing. So I think there's a rich, really rich history when we're talking about, you know, generational um, community building, right? Community building, right? Because, you know, older folks are just as much as part of our community as like younger folks, right? You know, oh yeah, yeah. You know. Well, and especially there also becomes that aspect of how do we talk about not just only black history, but queer history and how those, mm in us intersex versus it being just this one topic or over in the, or siloed into these other areas I and mean, equally just as i mentioned that aspect of the generational gap but it's like we've also got our own issues with the generational wealth gap too yes yes that's the wealth gap so which i did not want to talk about and it's very interesting to see again in san francisco right because mm -hmm. i think as as my position you know, as a director of Black Health, I'm trying to reach all aspects of the Black community, right? And with mm -hmm. the demographics I just talked about earlier, right, you know, a good majority of it is, you know, low income um, here. But there's also a good number of higher income Black queer folks here as well, too, right, who work in tech or who are who just recently arrived for work. Right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot, there's a good number of those folks here, too, that also kind of want different forms of connection. Um, and I also need health resources as well, too, right? They they go to our, I mean, we have a, a pinnacle spot of sexual health and PrEP and DoxyPep and all that stuff here in the Castro through our mm -hmm. uh, clinical stuff at Strut, right? And so 
Uh, we get those, and and we also have art programs as well too, which also really attract uh, those folks of higher income, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a really interesting space that I have to navigate to to bring in those different areas of 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 income, of, 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 mm-hmm. right? So for, as as an example, was that that book event that I launched, right? That we had, and so we had. I mean, because it's a it's a it's a story about you know. Mm-hmm. Young up, up and comers, uh, young black folks who are, you know, you know, trying try to be upwardly mobile uh, and try to navigate dating and sex and all that kind of stuff, right? Which, you know, all audiences read, well, both lower income and higher income right here in the, in the city. And so we brought those elements together at our space in the Castro of all places, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it, was, it was just really interesting to see. Like, so we had our folks on one side. And then we had like these newer folks come in, but so but it brought in all great conversation, I think, to address all kinds of all different aspects of what it what it means to be black and queer, like in a space, right? So, yeah, it was it was a really fascinating look as I was look as I, while I was observing the room, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, wow, we we have such an unique experience, I think, here living in San Francisco and and in the Bay Area when it comes to like, black queer life and like what that means, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is one of those places where, again, a lot of people don't think of that intersectionality and what that means, mm-hmm. and also about the choices that one has to make in that situation, mm-hmm. from the financial to the health to yeah. just the sense of what is our community. What is our community and what, what they feel, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, And it's hard to find that sense of community. It's hard to find that, that valid sense of community, right? Um, because like, like I said, we had our events in the Castro, right? Which um, mm-hmm. hasn't been historically very nice to, to Black folks, you mm-hmm. know, uh, outright, outright, outrightly racist and, you know, hurtful to Black folks as well as trans folks, you know? So um, it's not an affirming space. But, how, mm-hmm. how, but at the same time, you know, once we gather folks together, once we know we're, we're poignant, we can make our own spaces, you know, where and where and when we can, you know? Mm-hmm. So you talked a bit about, and you're when I asked you how did you get here, your story of getting into this work. But if somebody else, and especially to our younger groups, who might be listening or who wants to do a career change, what does it take to start getting into work like this? Yeah, no, I think it's really knowing. I think where you come from and know what communities that you're involved in with and i think really looking at the history the mm-hmm. uh, the development you know uh, of those communities um and looking at the needs of those communities and how to how to really address them so again uh, you know i can't emphasize enough i come from an ethics studies background and you know and there are many ways that you can uh, i think get that knowledge um mm-hmm. not just within you know um a four-year university you know um but I, I would I would really highly recommend I think folks really who really want to do this work who really want to work with with communities of color who really want to work with like black folks and particularly you have to know like our history you know have mm. to know like where we come from you have to know our struggles you have to know our triumphs right I think to really get a sense of you know um, where we can go right uh, which, mm-hmm. is, which is which is the, which is the sky right you know um, you know. Uh, I don't want to keep seeing us reinvent the wheel or I don't want to see us, you know, uh, try new strategies that have been done before. So let's um, get that education. Let's get that knowledge 
uh, of what has come before us to, mm-hmm. to move, to move us forward, you know, um, mm-hmm. and then get that experience too. So I think in the Bay area, I think we're very lucky to have, you know, um, uh, a myriad of community-based organizations doing amazing work, um, with our communities, you know, the, the Bay area is such a progressive bubble, which I always like to say that are filled with well-meaning, uh, folks who want to genuinely make our, our communities better. And so I think just linking up with them and, mm. and learning, uh, I, uh, on, um, um, on the ground, you know, um, I think is just most, most valuable. Nice. And just the aspect, you don't have to just have a public health, uh, degree Mm-mm. to be able to do this work. Coming yeah, from I, studies. I don't, I, I, I didn't, I had to kind of spell myself into it. I, I really did. I didn't. I didn't. I did not. I did not think I'd be working in, in public health. I thought I'd be a, a teacher or an educator or mm-hmm. some 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 realm of that. But you know. So I, I, with I the here. yeah. So with the uh, community support and structures you're putting there, I'm also curious as with my field, how are you incorporating mental health into the work that goes on in your program? Mm-hmm. And that also, I know, it seems like a strange segue from how did how do you get into this work, but bringing that into perspective and in step with what you're already providing. Yeah. Um, I think one of the first steps to take is to really uh, destigmatize mental health and normalize mm-hmm. conversations around mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the first key areas. And that can look like in a lot of different ways, a lot of, a lot of different worlds, you know, you know, it's like, you know, how are you feeling? It's like just checking in with folks, you know, I think on, on an individual basis, right. Um, those are, you know, key aspects to to mental mm-hmm. health that we can all take, right? Um, it, it doesn't require necessarily going to a mental health provider, but what, what, what we can do as a community is really come together and just, you know, just check in with folks, you know, how you doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this, I, th- I think, you know, American individualistic capitalist society always teaches us to, that we have to solve, you know, our own problems, but, you know, um, what we're trying to reframe and, 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 and change, I think, in community-based health is that we can take care of um, a lot uh, uh, with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's one step, or a step that we can all easily take uh, as a community and as a society. Um, and then two, also, which is also very, very important, is also see our mental health providers, right? So mm-hmm. not, not, not to, we should definitely uh, uh, have access, uh, see them and have access to our professionally trained mental health uh, providers, which and behavioral health health service providers that we need definitely definitely need more of, uh, I, 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 in that sense, you know, right? Um, so um, I, I'm personally I'm lucky to to see my therapist biweekly, um, mm-hmm. and it took a long time to find uh, him, um, especially especially someone asterisk with someone who is also a person of color. Someone who's also queer, all those things, mm-hmm. to make sure that, that that there's proper representation, um, I think, along the spectrum, so that folks can have access, you know, to mental health, right? So, you know, I don't know how many. I mean, you know, I don't want to speak for other people, but you know, uh, I feel and I and I, it's kind of been shown and proven that you know, uh, you know, uh, therapists of color, you know, are are make a profound impact on the communities that they're serving. You know, mm-hmm. just, just, through the, just through the reliability factor, right? So, oh, yes. Oh, yes. So yeah, well, <laughs> they're, uh, they're kind of sadly at that point. Uh, so I remember one client who, as I was talking to her, 
was telling me, and she was at that point, she had her career, she was working in a school, and she was really ready to, to speaking to some needs of a client and of her student that was clearly about racism. And everyone in the uh, particular meeting she was at basically was shutting down everything she was saying, not paying attention to her. And as I watched her, you know, steal herself, like she was not just back in that moment, but ready to defend it against me. My response was, you're absolutely right. That was racist. Yeah. Yeah. And just the relief that came across her was profound. And the fact that she could talk more about this and being supported as opposed to was that really what happened kind of thing, Susan? Like, no, it's like that happens to tell so many of us. So that's something that we definitely can provide as mental health providers and having settings like what you got, what you provide with Black Brothers Esteem to help normalize that. And especially for Black queer men, because yes. how many times have we been called crazy before because of our sexuality? Right, right, exactly. Um, but yes, no, I, I definitely uh, agree with you. Like, we definitely need those those culturally affirming providers uh, to be to be here for us. You know, to be, to be for the community, right? Uh, and have access to those communities, right? So, you know, uh, lowering the barriers uh, to to mental health providers, uh, I think, is another step, another key factor of things that we need, right? So. Um, whether that be, you know, and increasing access to, you know, health insurance or, you know, uh, getting funding again for for our community based uh, health services to allocate for more, you know, mm-hmm. the, all the myriads of ways that we can work around our healthcare systems uh, to make it a for, uh, low barrier as possible, free or at cost or. Mm-hmm. so we'll see yeah there's we can we can go, we can go on and on on, on those bases <laughs> right oh yes but those are some of the key ones there and some of this is because we're trying to deal with a system that was again never designed for some never of us for us it, it, it's it's not it's not but mm-hmm. i mean which which i really love the community-based model because again we're, we're really trying to 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 make those you know systems work for us right so, mm-hmm. you know, in community-based health, right, you'll never see anyone wearing, like, a white coat or anything like that. You'll never see, you know, anyone, you know, um, I don't know, like, have a couch or, like, go through those, like, stereotypical ways of having having counselors, right, you know? Um, well, I, hey, yeah. when when you're doing couples counseling or family there, counseling, we kind of need, need the couch, the couch, maybe to, need a couch. <laughs> to get enough, enough butts under the, there. <laughs> there is a certain functionality to it or not a couch what are the things an ottoman or whatever they're Uh, laying down on all that kind of stuff that that you see on tv yeah Um, well most of most of them were were ottomans or feigning uh, what they call feigning couches but it's like there's just so yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah i mean i i i I love and and also like how to way to really increase the access to that also through, through telehealth. I mean telehealth mm-hmm. is such amazing, you know, um, advent. I think you know because of COVID, you know, folks have been moving online um, mm-hmm. and normalizing mental health practices through the screen, right? So that makes mm-hmm. it uh, I think a lot more accessible for folks instead of having to travel somewhere, but they can just take it online or take it through the internet, you know, which is which has also been amazing too. So strong advocate and component of making you know any and all ways that folks can see someone talk to someone um 
work. No. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, you know, I think that's a perfect place for us to take a break. So stay tuned for our second half here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with Brian Regas, administrator extraordinaire from San Francisco Black Brothers Esteem. So stay tuned, folks. We'll be back shortly. America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with Brian Regas, administrator of uh, Black Brother Esteem, part of the SFAIDS Foundation, and UCF, UCSF, right, correctly? No, no, no it's, it's uh, SFAF. Foundation. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, because I know at times those two agencies sometimes work together. So they do, they do, but it's yeah. all, it's all us. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking a bit much about the program that you work for, you're you're administrating, which is Black Brothers Teams, which provides a lot of community sports to black queer men. Uh, one of those other things that, especially with everything that's happened with the recent effect of the effects of COVID and so forth has also seen issues around gentrification and yeah. how shitty sit cities cities demographics have shift shifted. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, we're just seeing a, a really slow uh, decline of like black folks in the city. And so I think part of what we want to do or what we are doing is like how to maintain you know, um, space uh, mm-hmm. a, a, in uh, in San Francisco for Black folks, for Black queer folks, mm-hmm. right? That's relevant and, you know, to us, you know. Um, 
and you see some of it is shipped of that. I think one 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 thing about gentrification and one thing about it's interesting thing about capitalism is that mm-hmm. you know it's it's always profitable to be woke for some reason, or it's more more recently profitable to be woke. So I think you'll see like businesses um, and uh, support things for like Black Lives Matter or you know, supporting like Black like initiatives you know, mm-hmm. in the city, but you know I still have to really question you know is this really supporting you know folks in the community here in the city right you know um, um as an example as an example there is like i don't know you see the black power fist like a lot mm-hmm. in, in spaces like particularly in the castro and there's this one spot that i know for sure it, i'm not going to call it out their name but they're but they're a gym and mm-hmm. they have they you know, it's in the Castro, and then they act—they're actively against homeless and marginally homeless folks uh, uh, on the on um, on uh, in the Castro, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. part of the Castro. I'll call this out. They're on the Castro Merchants Association, uh, who is actually actively against you know homeless folks in in, in the Castro, and they are completely um, not cool, not cool. But yet. They they'll still show face and have a mm-hmm. black power fist like on mm-hmm. their window. So as an example, so I was like, okay, thank you. You know, we see that, but you know, you're actually actively you know taking away you know um, uh, the, the the needs of the community by being anti homeless, uh, uh, and particularly particularly in the cash flow. So you know, it's 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 just politics. It's you know. Um, it's um messy you know mm-hmm. but you know we have to call things out when when we see it you know and i think that's part, also part of the work that we do here it's like you know like, hey you know you know what what's what's really going on here and are you actually you know serving the community you know uh, uh in that sense right um, well especially yeah. given given that, that there are I'm sure there's ways that they're rationalized this under that sort of siloed image as opposed to recognizing the intersection of identities as well. Yeah. Not yeah. to mention just being performative as sure. opposed to impactful. No, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, as we see the high cost of low living in San Francisco and the Bay Area, you know, um, you know, a part of our program is really looking and searching to find options for folks, you know, to live here, live and stay here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we have housing programs. Uh, housing, uh, housing referrals. You know, we have this pipeline against for folks getting into public health um, as a, as a, as, and it's the workforce. You know, uh, so mm-hmm. we're really trying to give really people options to have a sustainable life here, which is hard. It's hard. We give, you know, I was just, uh, another option. We give, we give, we give so much travel um, uh, 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 assistance as well too um, mm-hmm. to folks. You know, so any and all kind of assistance that we can to make it, you know, uh, easy to live here. Um, we do even try. Gotcha. So with that aspect of the gentrification that's coming on, one question would be, I mean, I know there's still plenty of forces trying to hold on to the Castro, but do you see any other areas in San Francisco that are possibly going to be migrating chains and might be safe places, not just for queer, but also black and queer? Yeah, so I mean, another most of the communities that we work here uh, and where we try to target is actually, you know, the Tenderloin uh, and the Soma um, mm-hmm. and a little bit of the Bayview too. Um, that's because our offices are located right here in mm-hmm. um, 
right the crux of Soma and Tenderloin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the communities here are just so beautiful and like resilient. Uh, I, I think uh, in terms of how we how you create life here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is always this negative stigma on on these neighborhoods of you know being infested with crime, you know, substance users, you know, drug paraphernalia. But at the same mm-hmm. time, these are people's homes and people live here. People have to walk these streets on the day to day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just really, really beautiful how people will just really create life here. Um, and, you know, I, often than not, you know, the folks on the streets are a lot nicer uh, than people in these rich white neighborhoods that, that you'll probably ever find and see. You know, you know, the folks are down to have a conversation. Folks are actually treat you with a lot of respect, actually. Um, and, you know, they look at you, you know, and they're just going about their days, you know, normally, right? They're just trying to, you know, um, you know, get by, right? And so, you know, I think what we're trying, what we're trying to do is, you know, really give people dignity uh, and respect. Um, and, you know, just, you know, like I said, how to have, have, life, have life here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you saw, as we talked about earlier, the, the, it's in gentrification, you know, uh, it's only intensified, I think, in the last several years uh, on the amounts of homelessness and uh, that's that's been happening here in the Tenderloin and Soma areas, because that's like the focal point of uh, where folks are and can meet, you know, right? Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's the crux of transportation. It's the crux of a lot of the services, service providers that are here. Um, and... Um, it's kind of the, yeah, the, the crux of life uh, uh, for like low income folks here. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's a, it's a beautiful struggle. I think that we really, that we really try to work with over here. Lovely. And it takes actually seeing more of the humanity as opposed to what's in your pocketbook. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll see some crazy memes. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you've seen them like about how there's these luxury you know, hotels, luxury apartments, right next door to like these encampments, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about like these, you know, economic divides, and you're seeing it right here, right? Mm-hmm. You no, know, you know, or you'll see like these nice, beautiful curbside parks, and there's like a homeless person just sleeping right next door, you know? So, you know, these are the realities that we live in. These are the class divides that, you know, it's that we that we are that we live in, you know, in this, you know, highest form of capitalism that we like live in um in san francisco and like one of the most you know expensive places in the world to live you know right um, which well, also brings uh, which always brings back to that aspect of yeah you could gentrify the entire city but are there really going to be enough people with enough jobs to pay for that entire city yeah and especially to keep all the services that need to run for yeah. said city yeah, I mean, you're seeing a lot. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of tech flight you now out, getting out of here, right? Market mm-hmm. Market Street is kind of destitute in terms of like the businesses. Businesses are pulling out left and right. Um, uh, like Westfield Mall is closing. Uh, all the all the storefront close, closes are closing mm-hmm. just because yeah, it's they, they can't find a market here for that, or it's too expensive, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the city is, is really, really, really changing, you know. And all of that very much hits the black queer community. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We uh, face the brunt of it in, in, a, lot of, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Both saddening, infuriating, and just, uh, 
but I think there's a lot of um, great triumphs out of that as well, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of that uh, to, to address another issue is, you know, how to, you know, solve the root causes of, of these issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, a lot of it, again, is surrounded by um, the idea of, of, of recovery and health um, through the lens of, 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 harm, of harm reduction, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this is like one of the strongest holds, just one of the strongest birthplaces of the harm reductionist movement, right? Because we have uh, so much substance use here, right? Mm-hmm. So actually, I, I, I don't think we should take credit because there's a lot of, that's been happening in New York and Toronto. I mean, uh, in uh, Vancouver, actually, right? Um, who actually opened up, you know, a lot of their uh, safe consumption sites uh, a lot sooner mm-hmm. than ours. Um, but we're working on, on that as well, too, in the city. So especially in the problem with fentanyl that's been happening yeah. too yeah yeah so hopefully th- those will become like realities uh as we as we allow uh folks to get around this idea of what harm reduction is and what it looks like and how it helps really self supports our communities right so you know folks you know struggling with addiction you know it's it's difficult right i mean you're a mental health provider i mean yeah. I, I mean you should know yeah. about the behavioral change and you know, particularly it's how difficult that is, but what's particularly when you add substances, addictive substances to that, like fentanyl um, and other street drugs that we're seeing, you know, it's 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 even more difficult, right, uh, to, 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 to change that. And so, you know, we yeah. come we come with the lens that, you know, we meet where people where they at, you know, that, you know, it's okay that to let them slide, you know, a little bit. Um, and it's actually okay to use a little bit as long as, you know, we are you know, creating healthy ways, uh, pathways of, of 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 controlling uh, the usage um, and, and help reducing the harm that's impacted by uh, these drugs, right? So that's why we mm-hmm. have needle exchanges, you know, clean um, uh, equipment for things to use so it doesn't help spread HIV and Hep C, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, things like that. So because you know, folks are going to do it anyway on the streets. So we provide you no know, clean alternative usages for that, right? But then at the same time, we offer counseling that's available. Um, as well as um, uh, medicated treatment assistance, right, Matt, right, uh, as, you know, as, as an option as well as two for folks, right? So, you know, so it's a whole, I mean, this is the whole conversation around, around, oh, yeah. you know, substance use and usage and, you know, getting things over. Yeah. Also, what's on top of, you know, trying to work with, you know, folks who are homeless and marginally housed, right? So hmm. a lot of the time their, their needs, you know, aren't, you know, you know, aren't getting, you know, um, uh, medicated, desist, uh, Matt, right, or medicated assistance treatments, but it's mm-hmm. just, you know, finding a place to sleep or getting a meal, right? Those are trying to meet yeah. basic needs reverse, but then... And depending on how ours. people are experiencing that, that is trauma. Yeah. And frankly, from the mental health side, a lot of times it's trauma that causes people to seek the drugs to try and escape the experiences. Mm-hmm. 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 And I mean, just as much as we're still seeing the problem, especially in the queer community, whether no matter who it is, issue with crystal meth too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, certainly again, you brought in again the intersectional element of, of mm-hmm. the, the black queer and trans folks that we see, right? So you know, a lot of the the trans and gender nonconforming folks that that we work with, you know, also suffer through you know different uh, levels of substance use, have history with sex work, you know. Um, and you know, it's, um, you know, really hard, you know, to get by, you know, out here. Right. 
And so, you know, they find all these ways to, you know, cope mm-hmm. uh, with, with some of the situations that uh, we have to live with. Right? Very much so. So I think we actually hit the um, myths and realities from mental health question earlier on. Oh, so let me ask a slightly different one since uh, uh, there you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you are both black and API. So I'm kind of curious about, and especially for those others who, who have been forced to live with that sort of, you need to pick one camp or another. I'm kind of wondering what it's been like for you uh, and especially representing that. Yeah. Not speaking for the community, but just for yourself and your own experience. Yeah. Cause you started yeah. a bunch of this work with API and now here you are working with mm-hmm. black brothers steam too. So mm-hmm. kind of curious. Yeah. About that. Well, I think fortunately, again, going back to my ethics studies background that you know, I was fortunate to take comparative ethnic studies and mm-hmm. learn both of like my cultures, right? Um, both mm-hmm. learn back of uh, my Filipino side and, and then through Africana studies, learn through mm-hmm. my African and African American side of histories. Um, and I was actually fortunate enough to take a, a mixed race studies class as well, too. So <laughs> I learned all of my identities. Uh, very, again, not very a, early on. Again, not a class that often gets talked yeah. about. It's usually, again, siloed into one or the yeah. other. Yeah, yeah. So I, I very appreciate that, my, my background and you know, uh, our university at San Francisco State, you know, ha- had these programs, right? Um, and I think it was just interesting growing up because I was looking at my parents and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, they never forced like any cultural identity like kind of on me uh, growing mm-hmm. up. But you know, I had to do a lot of like reclaiming as well too. I think in, in that sense, right? Because my dad mm-hmm. is actually second generation Filipino, very Americanized growing up, and I didn't mm-hmm. know what it meant to be Filipino. So I think that's why I quickly um, gravitated to that early on, um, mm-hmm. and so and I was able to go to school in San Francisco State, live in Daly City of all places, right? Mm-hmm. The highest concentration of Filipinos outside of the Philippines, right? Mm-hmm. So I got to integrate uh, very much well. Um, I think within that community space um, and learn what it means for me to be, you know, Filipino, right? Um, at the same time, you know, my mom uh, and my other side of the family were, you know, grew up, you know, mostly Creole, right? And mm-hmm. African-American. And so, you know, we did a lot of, we did some more cultural things growing up, right? Um, we went to like Zotico festivals and, um, uh, 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 yeah, learned all that and, you know, and I think uh, African American culture is a little more proliferated uh, mm-hmm. within, within the popular cultural right. lexicon, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I had a little more access to that, you know, growing up. But I think I had a more deep dive, you know, uh, in uh, my ethnic studies process, right? But I've always tried to balance both. I think for myself. Uh, so even when I was growing up, living in Daly City, you know, um, I still had to know what it meant to be black and queer. And so mm-hmm. um, during that time, I uh, was start to put on, um, I joined uh, Black uh, queer men's retreats uh, through, um, I think it's called that Black Men's Exchange under Kuluwanago mm-hmm. under the time, right? So um, I had to know that sense of my identity as well, too. And um, yeah, it was just a, it's a always interesting uh, way to straddle both identities. Uh, at the same time, I never feel... Um, a complete expert at one, but more of like a jack of all trades, if that makes right. sense, kind of thing, you know. Um, and of course, phenotypically, if you look at me, I know this is an audio podcast, but you know, I, I look 
many different things. I, I get I get mostly Latino or Pacific Islander, mm-hmm. um, or something else, you know. So no, I'm I'm fairly you know light medium light skin. Like I'm like about paper bag, uh, a little bit probably above paper bag, probably right above paper bag, right? So um, there's also that 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 the phenotypical side. I'm six foot three tall too, so mm-hmm. um, it's uh, an interesting exploration too go into these multiple identities, multiple communities, um, and try to represent myself. Um, but I always try to bring in the best of, best of both worlds um, uh, in, in all the spaces that I've been. Which is one of the beauties of intersectionality is that there's a lot of different places where you can draw strength from. Oh, totally. 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 Yeah, I, I'm very grateful. That and of course, one of those other little things that, as you and I have discussed, is you're also a fan of Star Trek. <laughs> I am. I am. I think it comes from like the the ideals of Star Trek. I think the basis mm-hmm. of Star Trek is like like how how we got how we got to this level of society is that we got rid of war and poverty, and you know, basically became a utopia on the planet, right? So if mm-hmm. we solve our problems here on the planet then we can get to space like relatively easy right like mm-hmm. ideally right in, in that scenario so mm-hmm. um i i love i love that concept of that, that star trek brings because it's such a hopeful one you know mm-hmm. that you know that we can come together and and as human humanity right and go to the stars like that's what we should be doing you know mm-hmm. and we, that's... We, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be fighting mm-hmm. over resources we shouldn't. There is no. We have abundant resources on the planet. We have renewable energy sources that we can get into, right? But you know, it's the it's the greed, it's the capitalism, it's you know these things that the divisions, racial divisions that really keep mm-hmm. us apart. When we should have really be coming together right? mm-hmm. and going to space, go to space. <laughs> and that's the perfect and not, example. And, and, and not through SpaceX and whatever his name is, Musk shit, all that kind of stuff. Right. No. No, not not through private, not through private industry. Where we have to pay millions of dollars to do that. So no, 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 no. No, gotcha. But again, that brings back to the intersectionality of what it means yeah. that uh, we need we for, we live as black queer men and API black queer men too. Yes, yes, yes. So, Brian. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and where can folks find to help support and talk more with you if they want to get into this career, but also to support the programs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can reach us through our website, uh, sfaf.org uh, slash uh, black health. Um, mm-hmm. is where you'll see our, our programs. Um, yeah, you can look, look us up through there. All right. And we'll have a link in the uh, bio information as well. So, once again, this has been Untying Knots, Minds and Souls and Tethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist. And uh, let's keep reaching for the stars as we f- discover our intersectionality. So stay tuned, folks. We'll be back for more. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.